Good morning. I was hoping that wouldn't come up because it makes me really sad and I don't like to preach if I'm really sad. Um, but it will, you know, it looks like uh, May I'll graduate from school and then like mid to late June um, we'll be moving out, or maybe even late May uh, we'll be moving out of here. So um, really pressing on my soul is, is what God would have for us. Um, if I only have one or two more times to do this, I don't want to waste my, my time or yours. And um, I really feel like God has something for us today. Uh, Grab a Bible if there is one near you. We are going to be in Acts chapter 8, so if you want to find Acts, it's going to be in the New Testament after the first four Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, I believe is the order. And uh, we're going to be in chapter 8. You can kind of put a finger there. Uh, What we're going to talk about a little bit today is explaining things. And I don't know if you've ever encountered this, but explaining things can be actually quite difficult. I kind of want you to think of a time in your life when you had to explain something and you found it just really, really hard to do. Uh, Maybe uh, you were explaining a game or a movie or something like that. Uh, Even yesterday, it was funny, I was making lunch for the kids and we were listening to uh, Amazon Music, which I didn't even know existed until like a month ago. And um, one of their playlists that they sort of published was like epic movie soundtracks. I was like, this ought to be fun. I'm making lunch and I feel epic at the same time. And um, so, you know, you hit play and the Star Wars theme comes on. And it's funny how a simple song can just take you right back to a movie. And, and they don't know any of these songs. So I'm, I'm like jamming out in my head and they're completely clueless. And they're asking me with each song. They're like, Daddy, tell me this movie. What happens? Tell me the story. I'm like, uh, Star Wars. Let's see. How do I condense this down so that an f- almost five and an almost seven-year-old can get it? And then Lord of the Rings comes on. And I immediately think of Kenny who loves Lord of the Rings, um, and they're like, tell us the story, and you're like, it took Tolkien like 4,000 pages to tell this story, how can I like simplify this down, you know, like there's the very basic, they have to destroy a ring in a volcano, (laughs) and then like the next level down is just too much, you know, there's like too many characters, there's too much going on, there's hobbits, there's wizards, there's elves, I mean, it's just, it gets really complex, Um, and it was funny, like, you, you can't, like, it's just so, there's so much to tell, and yet it's really hard to do in an easy way. So I, I, I wonder if you have an example like that. I'm going to do something that we don't normally do here. Try to turn to somebody that you either came with or somebody near you and tell of a time when you struggled to explain something in some way. So take, like, 30 seconds. It won't be long. Nobody's going to bite. Just, uh, you know, share with somebody around you. All right. <clears throat> So now I suppose I have to ask, how many people had trouble explaining the thing they had trouble explaining, right? I mean, that that even happens. Uh, As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a story when Keely and I first got married. We were living in Maryland, and in a part of Maryland that is very international. And uh, some friends of ours had started this group as a sort of an outreach towards these international students in the area. So these are people who just moved to the States. They're taking classes. They're like exchange students. Some of them, their English isn't great. And our goal was to sort of try to love on them, to help them feel welcome here, to explain a little bit about American culture, and also to share the gospel. And so we did all sorts of fun things. We did like uh, Thanksgiving, what is Thanksgiving about, you know, like a holiday, like Christmas, this is what we think Christmas, you know, this is why we celebrate Christmas, things like that. And then in the summer, we had a, a picnic, really lots of fun, and we tried to play kickball. Let me tell you, growing up in America, you think baseball is like an easy sport, And then you try to teach it to people who have no concept of baseball. And you're like, okay, kick the ball and run to the base and stop unless they don't have the ball yet. And then you can keep going and then you stop. Okay, good. 
Next person's up. Now, the person on the base, when they kick it, you should run. I'm sorry, except if it's in the air, then you don't want to run. If, if they drop it, then you want to run. And if they don't drop it, then you need to touch the bag. And then you need to, and it's like, this gets out of hand in a hurry. Have you ever tried to explain baseball to somebody who has no clue what it's about? It is li- like easily the most complicated game in the entire universe. And it's like, you know, at the end, and pr- like, first of all, they don't, they don't speak good English. So that's not even helpful. But then you're like, all right, just put the ball on the ground. We're playing soccer. Kick the ball in the goal. Okay, not that hard to explain soccer, but um, it was actually quite humorous and, and it's like a really funny memory for us. But explaining something can be really hard, right? And, and that's what we're going to get into today. Uh, let's read this story in Acts chapter 8 because um, I think God has something for us here today. This is uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Anybody have a pew Bible can tell me what page that's on in case you're... 595, 596, somewhere in there. So if you're having trouble finding it, uh, page numbers are helpful. So this is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It might be a familiar story for you. This is verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation for his life is taken away from the earth? And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you does the prophet say this? about himself or about someone else. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Every time I read this story, I'm struck by something different. And this time I was struck by the fact that Philip is able to open his mouth. He can start with this particular scripture, which he knew not anything about beforehand that the eunuch was reading this passage, And he was able to clearly lay out the entire good news of Jesus. And I want to put before us today, do you feel able to put out the entire good news? Are you able to explain it to somebody? And if you've never tried, maybe you don't know that it it can actually be very, very difficult. And um, the book of Romans, Paul says to us, how can they believe in one that they have not heard of? And how can they not hear of him, or how can they hear of him if someone doesn't tell them? You know, we love the phrase, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And I I absolutely believe we must demonstrate with our lives the truth and the good news of the gospel. I'm not negating that fact at all. But at some point, friends, people are going to see our lives and they will say just like this, how can this be true? Can you explain this to me? What is this about that you're living? And we have to have the words to say it. And it's not easy. I'm not, I'm not even going to pretend that it's easy. Um, this is an important part of our lives that we sort of have to put our thinking caps on and say, how can I uh, organize this in a way that makes sense? 
because not that it's going to make sense to our heads all necessarily, but we have to be able to present it in a way um, that people can understand the message of the good news and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus like you, like the Jesus that I see in your life. So many people uh, in the past have, have used like a, an illustration or a diagram to help them un- explain the gospel. Uh, one of those diagrams is the bridge illustration. Is anybody here familiar with the bridge illustration to demonstrate the gospel? So a few of us, uh, this is a new thing. This is a whiteboard. I know it might like, instill fear into your heart. This isn't a classroom, but uh, sometimes it can be helpful. So the, the bridge illustration looks like this. God's over here. This is as good as my artwork gets. <clears throat> Man's over here. And sin separates us from God. This is absolutely 100% true. We have no way to get ourselves over to God on our own. Our sin has completely and utterly separated us from him. And so the bridge illustration says that God, in the person of Jesus, has bridged that gap, that Jesus has paid our penalty so that we can be with God when we die. All we have to do is accept Jesus' sacrifice for us, and we will be with God when we die in heaven. Anybody heard that before? Right? And I want you to know that I believe this 100%. There is no part of this that is false. However, if you've been tracking with us for the last few months, Jesus' uh, Jesus's message when he was here was that the kingdom of God is available. And Jesse and Jared have been preaching through the, like, what that means for us on a practical level and, and the, like, the, how big of a message that is. And I, I want to tell you that I'm not sure this diagram captures the entirety of that good news. And if you're tracking with us for the last few months, maybe you're beginning to get that sense too, Right? So what I'm going to do today is actually um, present a, a new way to present the gospel. I'm going to sort of, we're going to, it's going to be a diagram. We're going to be like tracking together. It might be a little bit of hard work, and that's okay. It's not a sin to think in church. Um, but we're going to do something we don't do, and uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to do a lot of whiteboard stuff. So I want you to stand up, stretch out, because we're going to, you know, this is going to be hard. You may want to scoot up, because if you can't see, this isn't going to be all that helpful. So now would be a good time. You're already standing. You can uh, scoot up if you want, find, you know, squeeze in in the front here, and I'm not going to, I'm going to pass out paper and pens, because I want you to draw this along with me as we go, okay? I bought with my own $4 a bunch of pens, and my own $5, 400 sheets of paper. So there's plenty of paper for everybody, take two or three if you want. So Martin and Will are going to pass those out, come on forward, stretch out a little bit, and uh, we're going to, we're going to hit this together. While they're doing that, I just, uh, I had a note here that Ephesians 4, 13, 11 through 13 has, has been brought up before. This is the part where, where Paul talks about the church and how there's apostles, there's prophets, evangelists, there's shepherds, and there's teachers, the five-fold kind of ministry. Um, and you know, we think about that as like the leadership of the church, but Paul says that their whole goal is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You know, we like to think that the paid leadership are the ones who actually do ministry, and Paul says here that that the leadership, their goal is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. All of us are involved in the work of the ministry, and we should all be involved in sharing the good news with our friends. So hopefully by now, everybody has a paper and a pen. Uh, get something to write on, even if it's the Bible, that's okay. God will be okay with that. Um, 
what we're going to attempt to do is capture almost the entire Christian worldview. It's really hard to do, but in America today, there's just no footing even. I mean, there's no sense of like, this is what, who man is, this is who God is. Uh, even just this week, Barna uh, Research Group published a survey. Only like one in 10 Americans has a Christian worldview. Only 4% of millennials, which is the generation I'm a part of, just barely, uh, has a Christian worldview. So 4%, that's 1 in 25. So you cannot assume that the person you're dealing with, the person you're uh, trying to explain the gospel to, has any sense of who God is, who we are. So we have to sort of encapsulate the entire Christian worldview in something that's easy enough to be presented on the back of a napkin. So um, this, I think, is going to do that. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually quite excited about it. It's not my own. I'm not trying to take credit for this. There's a book by James Chung called True Story, and he kind of presents this all at once. But for you type Ayers, we're going to end up in like four quadrants of the paper. So if you're going to be like, I don't want to mess it up, uh, there's going to be like, if you want to divide it into like upper right, upper left, all that good stuff. Uh, and we're going to end up drawing kind of circles to represent our world. So the first one's going to be in the upper right hand corner. Draw a big circle here. Oh, that might be too big. I did this yesterday. I'm not type A, I promise. Whoops. Okay. Big circle there. That's going to represent our world. And then draw two little stick figures in it. And you'll notice they're a little bit separated. And that's on purpose. But we'll get to that part later. So this is our world today. And we just have to ask ourselves, and it usually doesn't take that long, but... What do we see in the world? Is everything hunky-dory? Is it perfect? Is everything great? And if you have a Facebook feed that you flick through, you can probably tell me that no, things are not great. Uh, There is all sorts of problems in the world, uh, and and we see it sort of on a global scale, oppression, war, injustice, slavery. Uh, We see it on a societal level, racism, sexism. Uh, We see it sort of even in our own lives, our relationships are broken. And so we're going to sort of model that by putting a squiggly line on this world here. It's to help us see that there is an issue and that our world is sort of not as it's supposed to be. Uh, So I think Willie even has a a picture here. Um, If you can't see this, it's also going to be up there, but you should follow along and and do it as we go. most of us would say that this is not really, we, we have this internal sense that this is not how it's supposed to be. Would you agree to that? There's like this ache almost that we would, we would wish for something to not be so broken. And um, if you have hunger, it kind of points to the fact that there is food, right, to satisfy that hunger. If there's thirst, there is something to satisfy or quench that thirst. And in the same way that, that we have this ache for a better world, this was not how it was meant to be. And the, in the Christian worldview, and this is where it's like getting back to the foundation, that we, we were actually designed and made for something better. So in the left upper corner here, draw another world. And we're going to draw two more people in here. And they're nice and close together. I'll try not to go too fast so we can keep people on the same page. <clears throat> right? And in this world, everything is as God designed it to be. So everything is perfect. And we had perfect uh, systems. Like, so on each, each of these levels, 
we're actually going to talk about three things. This is just a note for, like, on the side. You don't have to put this anywhere. Systemic, relational, and personal. So that's not part of the diagram, but you can keep that in your brain. At each of these points, uh, we're going to talk about these three levels. So in God's original design, on the systemic level, it was perfect. The earth provided everything we needed, and we took care of the earth. God, God's intention was for his people to steward the earth in such a way that he, they cared for it, that it, it was uh, blessed, and that it, it provided for them. There was no racism. There was no injustice. There was no oppression. There was no war. We lived in perfect harmony with each other. That's why these two people are nice and close together. Uh, we had no shame. It even says in the Bible that, that we were naked before each other and had no shame. That's how much closeness there was. And if you're interested uh, in sort of a biblical reference for this stuff, look at Genesis 1 and 2. You can kind of make a note of that for your own uh, reading later on. And on the personal level, we were completely whole because we had perfect relationship with God. So there's going to be a second circle in here, and that's going to represent God's presence we had perfect relationship with him. It was unbroken. We walked with him in a moment-by-moment intimate relationship. And that was what we were designed for. And so this first circle, we're actually going to title and summarize, Designed for Good. All right, stay with me. I know this is a little dry in the beginning. It's going to get better, okay? <clears throat> it feels a little like a classroom, and that's okay. So we were designed for good, and yet we know that this did not stay this way. In the Christian worldview, that there there was sin involved, Adam and Eve, our uh, parents of the the human race, said, we don't want God to be God, we want to be God. And that has continued ever since, and you were born that way, I was born that way. And what we do now is we say, we want everything to be about us. And we say, God, we don't want God to be God, we want to be God. And so that leads to complete and utter self-centeredness. So we're going to diagram that by these arrows that point everything is about us. And again, this is on every level. So we see it systemically. We pillage the earth. We say, what can I get out of it for my own benefit? Right? We pollute the air. We fail to steward creation as God sort of intended for us. Uh, We also see it in sort of the global effects of our own personal sin and things like racism, sexism, oppression, slavery, human trafficking, Uh, every evil that we see in the world is a result of sin. We see it on the relational level, okay? Now this is broken, so there's a a squiggly line there. That separates us from one another. Our sin has completely impacted our relationships with each other. Now we use people. We hurt them because we feel hurt. We feel insecure, and so we hurt. Uh, We lie to each other. We cheat. We steal from each other, things like that. And on the personal level, our relationship with God... Was, was broken with, by our sin. We are completely separated from God by our sin. And on our own, we have really no hope to be able to walk with him as we were originally intended um, when God designed us to be in that relationship with him. So this part uh, would, would be summarized best by damaged by evil. And if you want to look at a passage here, Romans 1 uh, has a a pretty graphic description of uh, sort of the effects of this. Romans 1, 18 to 32 is a good place to reference for that. Um, but we're trying to build our, our worldview here and sort of ask the questions, who is man 
and what is the good news of Jesus. And so you kind of have to make sure that this is clear. Like, this is where we are without Jesus. We are hopeless. Uh, We are really helpless to even improve our lives. Uh, There is so much, uh, the the root of sin is so deep that we cannot escape it on our own. And you kind of have to, like, feel the hopelessness of that. Um, Because the good news of Jesus is that God was not satisfied with this scenario. He could have said, whatever, you disobeyed me, you, de- you get what you deserve. And yet he did not do that. The whole story of the Bible is God pursuing his people. Uh, Tim Keller describes it as, you are more wicked and sinful than you ever dared believe, and you are more loved and accepted than you had ever dared hope. And that's the good news of the gospel. So this is our third circle here. We still have a broken world, so this is still a squiggly line. And yet, into this world comes Jesus. So we're going to draw an arrow from above and a cross. This is the only um, world religion where God actually comes to earth. He says, I'm going to make a way for my people to have relationship with me. And God breaks into our world. He comes into space and time in the person of Jesus, by far the most influential person who ever lived, uh, and you, like, that's verifiable by anybody, even the secular historian would agree with that. And he comes in, he says, I'm going to make a way. And what he, Jesus does is he actually first demonstrates it. He says, look, the kingdom of God is available and you can see it in my life. The kingdom of God being the place where God reigns, that you can walk with God in a moment-by-moment intimate relationship as Jesus did. And he says, you can, you can claim me, you can claim redemption for your sin, he, he pays the penalty for sin. He gets crucified on the cross and he is raised to life saying that you no longer have to live under the domain of sin. You can live in the domain of Jesus. So what he does is he restores relationship with God on the personal level. That by trusting in Jesus, by repenting of our ways, of our evil self-centered ways, we can actually walk with God and have this restored relationship with him. We can even have, and this is going to be difficult, two little stick figures here at the foot of the cross. <clears throat> because we are now redeemed and restored with God, we can have relationship with each other that is uh, ever increasing in its unity and wholeness. We will still hurt each other, friends. And most of us who've been in the church for any length of time know that, that you can still be hurt by people in the church. But there is reconciliation for that. Because in Jesus, we can, we can own our faults without being insecure about them. We are completely loved by God, and so we can sort of lay open the book and say, yep, I'm a mess, and that's okay, because God loves me anyway. He has redeemed me in Jesus. And on the systemic level, now we can begin to inaugurate God's kingdom. And so you'll find that most of the social goods that have happened in our world have been started by Christians. The abolition of slavery Um, started in Britain with a bunch of Christians, continued in the U.S. with a bunch of Christians. The civil rights movement was started by Christians. God's people have been involved in healing the world from the beginning, and that's what Jesus had us do. Now, most of us would probably say, this is great. This is where we are. This is where we live. Um, And this is where I feel like the bridge illustration may come a little bit short, because this is not the end of the story. Jesus has us now on mission for him. And so this fourth world here, fourth circle, still broken. Oh, whoops, I forgot. The title of this one is Redeemed. 
for good. And there's some really great uh, passages for this one. Mark 1, uh, 15, 14 and 15. And Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 are really foundational passages for the good news of Jesus. So make a note of those. Here's our fourth part of the diagram here. God asks us to be a part of his plan. He's not content to, to leave us uh, here at the, you know, and, and just sort of accept our, uh, our salvation and say, yep, just wait for heaven. When you're, when you're dying, you're going to be with me. This is going to be great. From the very beginning, Jesus told his disciples, as God has sent me, I am sending you. Go into all the world, preach the good news of the gospel, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So uh, here we are. We still are. Jesus is, is central to our lives. We can never escape that. We're not doing this on our own strength. And yet, uh, so Jesus is here, and God's presence we can walk with him in a moment-by-moment basis. <clears throat> but we're sent out. So we're going to draw four pairs of people. This is going to take a long time. Okay? But we're not sent out alone, so I can't just have you draw four little people around the circle. It's four pairs of people. All right. Oh, they're getting pretty sloppy here. Sorry about that. All right. God wants us to take part in his revolution for the world. And you will see that in Scripture, God is always on the move and he is always pushing his people out. If you remember back to that story with Philip, the voice of the the angel of the Lord comes to Philip and says, get up and go. And then it says later, go over to the chariot. Get, get over there, you know? Uh, so often we want God's voice to tell us that we're special, that he loves us, right? We want devotional words from God. And if you look at the book of Acts, there's actually zero times when the voice of God is devotional in nature. Even in the whole Bible, God is off, his voice is often missional in nature. It is not devotional. You know, I can think of a few times Jesus, you know, is baptized. This is my son who I dearly love. That is a very devotional word, and it was reserved for Jesus Christ himself at the beginning of his ministry. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't uh, be excited about devotional words from God and that we shouldn't be secure in our love. Take it as given. He sent his son to die for you. How could he not love you, right? Now get up and go, right? I mean, I, like, it's, it, this is the, the spirit of God always is sending us out. And that's a central theme to the kingdom of God. It is not for you. The gospel comes to you on its way to somebody else. And that is, that is a foundational truth of the gospel that the bridge illustration cannot capture. And this is an important part of who we are. So God's kingdom is going to transform us and transform the world on every level. So let's start with the personal. We are not left to just say God has paid the penalty of your sin. You don't have to pay for it when you die. God has actually paid for, uh, the, or transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness, which Jared preached on, and transferred you into the kingdom of light now, 
which means that we are now transformed. We don't have to live under that power of sin. We don't have to follow the ways of this world. And so that's going to transform us on every level of our being, and we have to press into that transformation. Just a quick story. This is like as mundane as it gets, and yet it is profound. Uh, Two years ago, our water heater uh, leaked. It like stopped working, so I had to put a new one in. And like all things, it's like 11.30 p.m. You just want hot water, finally, so you can take a shower. So I had gotten all the parts, or I thought so, and I, I sat there, and I'm reading the book, and I'm like, I do not have a pressure relief valve, which is a safety measure so that if the hot water ever goes to, like, super high, it won't burn you and explode the house. Like, it's not going to blow up and all that. It's going to actually, like, let the water off somewhere else. And I thought, I really want hot water right now, so I'll just put it together now, and I'll fix it later was what I thought two years ago. And it's been working fine ever since. So I thought, this is great. Uh, But like all things, there's two ways to do it, the right way and again. So um, we're getting ready to sell our house for our move, which is sad. And I thought, I better fix this before we sell the house because the home inspector is not going to like this. So I go to fix it. And I put the, like I, you know, get everything buttoned up and it just leaks, just drip, drip. And this is like, you know, it's again 11 o'clock at night. I'm like, I'm just going to let it drip, and then I'll fix it later. You know, this is like one of those stories. And so the third time I'm attacking this water heater, I say, God, you know what? On my own strength, I just get really frustrated really quick. And then my kids are down there playing, and they're asking me to do stuff, and I'm snapping at them, and I'm yelling at them. God, would you transform the way I approach this task? I mean, this this actually happened. This was like 10 days ago. And you would not believe the difference as I, as I worked with this, as I began to get frustrated, I said, God, would you make me patient? Would you, would you give me the resources to fix this water heater? Uh, <clears throat> and he, I will tell you that, that that third time, finally, it was like, all right. You know, like it was, it was a completely 180 degree difference from the first two times that I did it. And it, and it, made, it made me joyful. It made me, like, I, I ended up having to do it twice in that third time because the first time it still was dripping water. It didn't bother me. I was, all right, here we go. We'll just do this. No big deal. God's got me. And it was a, a comp- and it was honestly, like, it was a drawing from God's resources right now from where his kingdom is, which is right around us, a drawing from those resources for a task that was right ahead of me in trying to rebuild this world of his so that it doesn't leak. Because in the kingdom of heaven, there will be no leaks. I can guarantee you that. Really a, like a mundane example, and yet even the most mundane aspects of our lives get transformed in the kingdom of God. How about relationally, right? These people are next to each other on purpose because our relationships begin to be restored as we live in the kingdom. God would not have us, uh, you know, continue to hurt each other. This is why things like Celebrate Recovery are so crucial to our understanding of the gospel, that we need to uh, really own our sins and sort of lay them out before God and say, God, would you fix us so that we can stop making a mess of our lives relationally as well? Um, My wife and I actually recently started going to a marriage counselor, not because our marriage is on the rocks and we think that we're going to get a divorce anytime soon. It's not even like that. But we could tell that there were in our 10 years, this year will be 10 years for us, in our 10 years that there are patterns for us where I continue to hurt her and she continues to hurt me. And in 10 years, those have not changed. And so we need to have some outside influence. We need to have somebody who can see clearly the kingdom and, and where we're not sort of living in line with the kingdom and say, look, you need to fix these, 
these things. These are areas for you that, that are going to continue to happen unless you see God's grace sort of press into those things. And that's a part of the kingdom. That is a relational aspect of how God is restoring his kingdom here on earth. And it's beautiful, let me tell you. And then uh, in a systemic sense, we are called to sort of go into the world and be the healers, right? I mean, that is, that is from the beginning. God sent out his disciples and said, go. Inaugurate God's kingdom wherever you go. And so that includes things like um, praying for the sick. That would certainly include things like evangelism and preaching the good news wherever you go. But it also includes things like go out and do your job really well, whatever it is. Uh, go out and fight injustice. Go out and protect the oppressed. Fight for those who cannot fight for themselves. Um, you get things like IJM, the International Justice Mission, who is uh, you know, fighting for, against human slavery, which still exists on this earth, all over the place, and this is a Christian who said, I will not stand for it. This is something God has, you know, throughout the Bible commanded his people to fight against, and he is fighting against it excellently. Uh, Really a foundational aspect of the kingdom is that we continue to press into these things. Uh, It means that you press into your communities. I don't know, you probably don't um, know Tim and Jen Schwartz. Jen, I think, is actually downstairs in the nursery right now, so she won't hear this which is probably good because she'd be embarrassed. But uh, Tim, her husband, is an interim pastor at a church up in Waverly, but they consider City Lights their church home. And um, they are a beautiful example, I think, of of this demonstration uh, of this example of kingdom living. They moved here a couple years ago. She teaches at the U in their PT department. Um, Obviously, bright people. They, uh, they live right on the hill. They're super involved in their neighborhood. They host like Super Bowl parties, a lot of immigrants in their neighborhood. They've hosted lots of picnics and things like that, Thanksgiving stuff. Um, he's like the PTA president at their school. He coaches at their elementary school and the basketball team. They have sort of plugged in and said, look, this is, we are change agents for this community. We are not going to sit back and let the kingdom of darkness reign here. We're going to sort of be beacons of light and we're going to own this and we're going to press into it. And I think it's really, really beautiful. And so the, the way we can sort of summarize this is sent together to heal. And I think my passages here are Matthew 28. 18 to 20. John 20:21 and Colossians 3:1-17. These would be sort of the foundational passages where Jesus tells his disciples go into all the world and preach the good news. John 20:21, 20, if you want to meditate on a verse, he says, "As the Father has sent me, I am sending you." If you, if you meditate on that for any length of time, if you sort of begin to let that truth settle in your soul, that is going to uh, light up your world. And then Colossians 3, 1 to 17, excuse me, is one of the clearest sort of concise passages where Paul talks about our personal transformation and how it relates to us relationally. See, you sat in the back. I can see you squinting. You're supposed to move up. Not my fault. <clears throat> Um, Colossians 3, 1 to 17 is that bottom one. Uh, really beautiful passages that talk about um, how we're supposed to be, we are to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus himself. Now, many people would say, you know, if you go to, and you present this to somebody who doesn't know Jesus, that's great. Why can't we just go from here to here? Right? Why can't, I mean, like, I'm a good person. 
quote-unquote. Get that a lot. Um, <clears throat> and that's where you, th- it needs to be clearly presented that this is just impassable. You cannot go that direction. That the way of Jesus is always around the circle. There is, and this would be sort of the bridge illustration part of it, this is impossible because as we begin to work on our own strength, we find that our self-centeredness takes over and that it becomes all about us again. And it doesn't take too long to look at the world and say, yep, I've seen plenty of examples where people do this on their own strength. They say, we can have a godless revolution. We do not need a god of any kind. And um, friends, that doesn't work. And our sin is just too deep. And so we need a heart-level cure um, for the problem of sin, and Jesus has come to restore that. So it's a really important thing that, that as you present this, you begin to, to say, where are you? Right? You, you try to generate some sort of response. So as you look at this, where do you identify yourself? Maybe you think the world is perfect, and I would say, where do you live? Because I would like to join you in your technology-free uh, world because you must not turn on the uh, television or the internet and see everything that's going on. So, you know, we can sort of easily nudge people out of circle number one by opening uh, the newspaper. Maybe you're hopeless. Maybe you feel this sense of dread of it's overwhelming to me, even my own soul. I cannot get control over it. And then you can offer them the good news of Jesus. Maybe you're here and you have not completely owned the fact that the gospel is not just for you that it does not stop at you. There are no end points in the kingdom of God. You are a through point for God to continue to work through. Or maybe you're beginning to say, no, I do sense that God is calling me to something, that I have sensed his spirit and his voice uh, propelling me out. And I think that's a good place to be. Notice that this diagram does like three distinct things from the bridge illustration. One, the bridge kind of says, make a decision for Jesus, which is absolutely a part of this. Like, you cannot follow Jesus without deciding to follow Jesus. But it, it is not only about the decision to follow Jesus, it's about transformation. So it takes it from a decision to a transformation, and that's a really important uh, change, I think. It also says, this is not only about you. You know, this, it tries to capture that from the beginning, it is about God's people, The bridge illustration is very individualistic, and I think that if we can sort of move from an individualistic, you know, this is about you, for you, God is only about you, to more of a community sort of uh, mindset or even understanding of the gospel, then that's a good thing. So from individual to community, and then lastly from like thinking only about heaven when you die. Look, if you walk with God today, if you are an active member of his kingdom, if if you are a part of what he is doing on this earth, Why would you not continue to do that when you transition from this life to the next, right? I mean, if you are a friend of God now, you are a friend of God forever. And I think that too often, uh, if you you present the gospel as an afterlife-only thing, then people say, well, what about my life today? Doesn't God want to save that? And absolutely, he does. And he has called us to be saved from our sin now and uh, forevermore. And I think that's a really beautiful part um, of this diagram. So, you know, as you look at this, it's just a tool. No diagram is going to save somebody. The Spirit saves people, and the Spirit is always at work before you even encounter your friend, right? Notice that the, the Spirit of the Lord came to Philip and said, go, and he met a eunuch, right? The eunuch was already on his way, and the eunuch was already reading the Bible. So Philip, all he had to do was sort of step in 
and answer the question when it came to him, right? I mean, that's, that's a really beautiful uh, illustration that God is always at work, and what we need to do is open our eyes and say, ask God to say, where are you at work around me? So I'm going to invite the worship team back up. <clears throat> and one thing that I have found to be super helpful for me, and I shared this the other night at home group, uh, a lot of times I will uh, sing a song of worship over my unsaved friends. And it will be almost a declaration, uh, a, prof- a prophetic utterance that they will one day sing this song with the same fire and passion that God has ignited in my own heart. And I think that it's a really beautiful thing. So what I'm going to ask you to do is to spend a few moments now before we even uh, sing to say, God, who have you placed in my life that I might be able to share your good news with? I don't even care if you use this. Maybe you'll never use this ever again in your life. That's okay. If this is helpful for you right now to understand that your life is bigger than you, then that's it. We've won. But what I want you to do is right now ask God, God, who, who is around me that you can help, help use me to expand your kingdom? And that would, God, would you put on my heart someone that I can sing this worship song over? That we would sing, you know, all the earth will shout your praise. Uh, you know, my heart will cry. These bones will sing, great are you, Lord. I mean, how beautiful is that to be able to say, God, my unsaved friend who right now is a devout atheist, Lord, would you, would you capture his heart in such a way that maybe one day he would sing this song too? That you would use me for that in any way possible. Um, ask God to sort of put on your heart that person.